You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. We have pushed him out of everything, beginning with prayer in the schools, and you know the you know the results. Look what's happening today. We have absolutely forsaken the God of our fathers. We have forsaken him and have allowed the nation to run amok, and it continues to slide down. How long will God not judge us? How long will the Lord keep silent? I don't believe it's going to be much longer. Revival starts with you. Has your passion for Christ and His gospel slowed down to just a burning ember with no real passion? As Pastor Dave will explain in today's message, if we want to see revival in this country, political movements won't bring it. It starts in the heart and spreads like wildfire among the people. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 22 as he begins his message, One Last Revival. We are going to be in chapter 22 of 2 Kings. I call this one last revival. I call this study one last revival because that's what's going to happen. The nation of Israel had broken into two, Israel to the north and Judah to the south. Um, We know, and we're going to talk about Judah, Israel was taken away. Judah is still remaining, and they've committed all sorts of spiritual adultery, And because of King Manasseh that we studied last week, they too are going to be carried away. We know that they are carried away to Babylon for some 70 years. We know that for a fact because the scripture tells us that. But there's going to be one last revival. And as I went through this study, once again, for some reason, and I don't know if it maybe it's me, I see the United States all over this. I see what's happening in our country all over these scriptures. So turn to 2 Kings 22. Page 451, and we'll pray. Gracious Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, for this time that we have together. Thank you, Lord, that we have your word, that we can look at it, and we can make reference to it. We can read it. We can study it. We can glean from it those things which are pertinent in our lives. Even though we're studying things that happened thousands of years ago, Father, they're still true today. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. So, Lord, as we glean from your book what is going on back then, we can look at what's happening now in our lives, what's happening in our United States of America, and we can compare what's going on. But you are a God of mercy. You are a God of love. But you're also a God who judges. And, Lord, we know that judgment is coming. And we also know, Lord, that judgment begins in the house of you, your house, the house of God. So, Lord, help us, Lord, to be discerners of your word. Help us, Lord, by your spirit to know your word, to study it, and to apply it to our lives. Bless this time we spend as we go through now, looking to you for the answers that we need. And Lord, I pray with all my heart that we too would experience a revival, one last revival. I pray this, Lord, with my heart. I pray in the name of Jesus. Thank you in his name. Amen. 
So, here we go. So as I looked at what we studied last week with King Manasseh and King Ammon, the first thing that came to mind is what's done is done. The die is cast. The effects of sin run deep and are not easily undone. Sin always brings forth consequences, whether they're immediate consequences or they're consequences down the pike. But sin always brings forth consequences. The nation Israel had fallen into the sin of idolatry. Both the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom had forsaken the Lord God Jehovah, and they had turned to foreign gods. They began worshiping those gods. They began building altars to them in the high places. And they even were sacrificing their children to them. God, being a loving, merciful God, a long-suffering God, sent prophets to them. Men, women, who would come to them and tell them, you got to get yourself right with God. you got to come back to God. You have to get your hearts right with Him. You need to repent. You need to turn from your wicked ways. But they ignored them, or they killed them, and they continued to turn their back on God. They refused to listen. One king after the next continued wicked practices, leading the people further and further away from God. What was the end result? Well, I said earlier, the northern kingdom of Israel was taken away by the Assyrians. They were done. They were carried away and made captive by the Assyrians. Because of their uh, spiritual adultery, their refusal to repent, their refusal to turn to God, he chastened them. He allowed the Assyrians to come in and take them away. Hence, Israel, that kingdom, is no more. Never to return. The kingdom of Israel is no more. The southern kingdom was not much better. Of the 20 kings that ruled, including one queen, only eight of them were called good. And that good was marginally good. Many of them compromised. Many of them did things that were wrong. And many of them also led the people to sin. And as we studied last week, Coming off the heels of the reforms of the great Hezekiah, his son Manasseh ruled Judah for 55 years. He was considered the most wicked king of all. And even though he repented at the end of his life, God held him accountable for leading the people of Judah into sin. And because of that, he was going to punish the entire kingdom. What was done was done. The die had been cast. So as we begin now, chapter 22, the kingdom of Judah is going to enter a period of peace and prosperity. This results from a great revival that is going to happen, a time of reformation during a great and good king by the name of Josiah. He reforms the nation and he takes them deeper and further into the reforms than any other king had before. Why? Because he followed the ways of his father, David. But even though King Josiah will lead Judah into a great revival, what's done is done. The die is cast. So a revival does happen. And as I was reading this The entire time I kept on thinking about my beloved country, the United States of America. I kept on thinking about that, how we have forsaken God, 
how we have pushed him out of everything, beginning with prayer in the schools, and you know the, you know the results. Look what's happening today. We have absolutely forsaken the God of our fathers. We have forsaken him and have allowed the nation to run amok, and it continues to slide down. How long will God not judge us? How long will the Lord keep silent? I don't believe it's going to be much longer. But something we've all been praying for in the United States is revival. Every one of us has been praying for that one last revival before the Lord comes and takes us all home. But how does a revival start? Where does a revival start? Does it start by praying for our children? Does it start by praying for the prodigals? Does it start by praying for our churches? Does it start by praying for our, our city ordinances, our, our, our youth? Does it start by praying for our government? No. Revival starts in one place and one place only, our hearts. That's where revival starts. And each and every one of you looking and each and everybody here, that's where revival starts, in your heart and my heart. That's where revival starts. Too often we're praying for the change in everybody else. Lord, change them. Change those people. Get rid of them. When we need to be praying, Lord, change me. Change my heart. Make me righteous to you because of Jesus Christ. Make me more like you. Now, after our heart is cleansed of all unrighteousness, then we can pray for our children. Then we can pray for our workplaces, our schools, our states, and our country. But God is in a continuation of revival. God loves revival. God loves revival. Why? Because it brings people back to him, which is what he wants. We were created for fellowship with God, and he wants us to have fellowship with him. But when that fellowship is broken because of sin, he's not happy. He wants us back because he loves us. One commentator even said, our God is a God of revival, continued revival. So revival begins in a heart, one heart. Go back and look. Go back and look at all the great revivals throughout the history of Christianity. Look at all the great revivals and you'll come to find out that it started with one heart touched by the Holy Spirit. One heart started the revival. And that's what happens in Judah at this time. It starts in one heart. And the heart it chose was a young boy, eight years old. A young boy, eight years old. Let's read verses 1 and 2 of chapter 22. When Josiah was eight years old, well, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Jedidah, the daughter of Adaiah of Bozkath. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father David, and he did not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. So you see, this young man becomes king when his father Ammon died. His father Ammon died. Remember, his grandfather was Manasseh. His father was Ammon, two very, very wicked kings. Josiah, on the other hand, is called one of the greatest kings in the history of Judah. Even the prophet Jeremiah used him as an example for others to follow. He rules for 31 years, and he walked in all the ways of the Lord because his father David was an example. He understood David, and he followed after David, and I love that. 
And I love that. We're going to start the book of 1 John on Sunday, and I'm so excited about starting the book of 1 John. But one of the things that John says is basically, follow me as I follow Christ. And that's really cool because John was following Christ with all his heart and with everything he has. And he becomes our example of following Christ because that's what he's doing. David was a man after God's own heart. And David became Josiah's example. I want to be like him. I want to be just like him and follow the things he did and do the things he did because I want to be a man after God's own heart also. And I think this is wonderful. He became king at age eight. And by the time he was 18... He had fully committed himself to serving the one true living God. Josiah sought God with all his heart and sought only his blessings. He understood the value of having a relationship with the one true living God, just like David did. He understood the value of knowing God, the value of praying, the value of fellowshipping with God, the value of following the Holy Spirit. He understood that. He understood these things. And this is the reason for this revival. One person totally in love with the Lord, allowing the Lord to work through him while being an example to others. One person completely sold out to God. This is how revivals start. This is how revival starts. It starts by Isaiah saying, here I am, send me. I want to go. Why? Because he was purged from his sin and he realized just how much he had been forgiven and all he wanted to do was serve the Lord. Here I am, send me. That's how revivals start. Revivals, as I said, don't begin by praying for your spouse, your children, your neighbors, your pastor, your boss, your government, although those are good things to pray for. But that's not how revival begins. Revival begins when you get on your knees, when you get on your face before God, and you say to the Lord, Lord, change me. Let it begin with me. Change my heart. That's when revival begins. Josiah was the spiritual leader that Judah had been lacking all these years. He led the kingdom into a deeper relation with the Lord. He tried to undo all the damage that his grandfather Manasseh and his father Ammon did. And boy, the damage was great. When we get to chapter 23, you'll see all of his reforms and all the things that he did. It's incredible when you look at all the stuff he did. He purged the land from the high places, called the people back to worship in the temple of Jerusalem. He destroyed the idols, the altars that were dedicated to Baal and other false gods. He defiled the places where the people worshiped their false idols. But even after purging Jerusalem and Judah, even after doing all that, he went down to Samaria. Actually, he went up to Samaria because of the northern kingdom. He went to Samaria and he preached God there and he tried to rid them of their idolatry. So he really was a man after God's own heart. It's pretty cool. The first thing he did, though, let's look at verses 3 to 7. The first thing he does, and this is important, you'll hear why in a minute. They repaired the house of the Lord. Remember, Manasseh and Ammon defiled the house of the Lord. They moved out some of the materials and some of the fixtures, and they put in images, and they put in false things in there for worship. This was true defilement. Let's look at 3 through 7, please. Now it came to pass in the 18th year of King Josiah that the king sent Saphan, the scribe, the son of Azalah, the son of Meshulam, to the house of the Lord, saying... 
Go up to Hilkiah, the high priest, that he may count the money which has been brought into the house of the Lord, which the doorkeepers had gathered from the people, and let them deliver it into the hand of those doing the work, who are the overseers in the house of the Lord. Let them give it to those who are in the house of the Lord doing the work to repair the damages of the house. To the carpenters and the builders and the masons and to buy timber and hewn stone to repair the house. However, there need to be no accounting made of them of the money delivered into their hand because they deal faithfully. I like this. So all these people are doing doing the work and, and the temple needed repair. Remember, idols had been brought in and things were taken out. The temple needed to be restored into what it was. It needed to be repaired. When they put these idols and things in there, it was directly against God's word. I couldn't believe that they were actually defacing the temple. Reminds me of some of the defacing we see today. Defacing beautiful things, destroying things. It just saddened me. But Josiah had these things removed. He had them removed and destroyed. And I like this. The temple was the first thing they repaired. You might know where I'm going with this. The true revival, the condition of the house of the Lord is extremely important. When a true revival takes place, the condition of the house of the Lord is true, is, is, is extremely important. In 1 Corinthians, in chapter 3, verse, six, uh, verse 16, Paul says this. Do you not know that you are the temple of God, that the Spirit of God dwells in you? If anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him. For the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. Whoa, I like that. I like that. Peter, our man Peter, says in Peter, 1 Peter 2, in verse 5, he says, let's read 4 and 5, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, as living stones, are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices accepted to God through Jesus Christ. What's, what's being said here? We are the temple. We are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus, dwells within us. We are the temple of God. The temple of God needs to be repaired first. It needs to be cleaned first. It needs to be cleansed. The Lord doesn't do any work when there is no love. True revival needs to begin in our hearts, within our temple. A love for God leads to a love for others. It's interesting, and no coincidence at all, that Mark and Rainey spoke about this on Monday night when they went through John 13, 35, when Jesus said, you'll know, they'll know you're of mine by the way you love one another. And then they read the beautiful chapter called Love in 1 Corinthians 15, 13. If there isn't love for God, there cannot be love for others. You can't love someone else if you don't love God. Now, you can but it won't be the way God wants you to love them. It will not be a wonderful, beautiful, agape love, unconditionally. If you don't have God, your love is conditional. Your love is based on what you can get or what they can give you. But when you're truly in love with the Lord, there's no strife. There's no fault finding. In fact, 
in that beautiful love chapter, not only is it no fault finding, but it bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, endures all things. Love never fails, doesn't behave rudely, doesn't seek his own. It's not provoked to think evil, suffers long, and does kind and not an envy, doesn't get puffed up, doesn't parade itself. All those things happen when you're deeply in love with God. When you're deeply in love with God, the fruit of the Spirit is love. If you're, if you're basking in the love of the Holy Spirit, if you're basking in the love of God, then that will ood from you. And people will see that. People will see that. As we seek the Lord with our whole hearts, he then tells us through the Holy Spirit what needs to be prepared in our heart. If you're brave enough to say, search me, O Lord, as David did in Psalm 139. Search me and try me. See if there's any wicked, wicked way with it. If you're, if you're brave enough to get on your face before the Lord and say, Lord, there's a problem and I know it's not with you. There's a problem, Lord, and it's not with you. We need to fix me. How can I fix me? Show me what I need to do. And then sit and wait, and God will show you. God will show you what you need to fix. Maybe it's maybe something you need to confess a sin. Maybe you've been hanging on to a sin that you haven't confessed. May, who knows what it is, but God will show you. So revival brings, begins in our heart. Begins in our heart by getting before God, by cleansing our temple and making our temple undefiled. That's where revival begins. And what is revival centered around? What is revival centered around? The word of God. Read verse 8, back in the chapter we're studying today. Verse 8. Then Hilkiah, the high priest, said to Saphan, the scribe, I have found the book of the law in the house of the Lord. And Hilkiah gave the book to Saphan, and he read it. Wow. According to Deuteronomy 31, there was supposed to be a copy of the book of the law of Moses beside the Ark of the Covenant. It was supposed to be there. The word of the Lord was with Israel, but they had totally neglected it. They had totally left it out because they were in disobedient. When you are in disobedient, when you are in sin, you leave this out of your life. Why? Because this will tell you you're in sin. This will tell you the truth and it'll tell you you need to repent. So you shy away from it. Oh, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to know that. When you neglect the word of God because of disobedience, you're neglecting God's very voice. His breath breathed out upon these words. We study in Deuteronomy 17. Each king should have a personal copy and he was supposed to read it. Deuteronomy 31 tells us that the entire law was to be read to the entire nation every seven years at the Feast of Tabernacles so that the people would know that the law exists and they would be able to keep it. The Levites themselves, who were scattered throughout the entire nation, both northern and southern kingdom, had a responsibility to teach the law, to get people to know the law of Israel. But it appears that Josiah's father, Ammon, and his grandfather, Manasseh, they tried to destroy all the copies of the word, but they missed one. You are This has been another edition of A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank. Thanks for tuning in. As you notice in the course of history, an entire nation can be led astray by following after other gods. But the leader of the nation is the one who sets the example. 
In so many cases in 2 Kings, the one who was in charge was himself acting wickedly or was swayed by the people who were doing evil practices. Unfortunately, you see the downfall and destruction of a nation when it chooses to stray from following after God. What does that mean for today? What are the patterns and practices being set into place in this nation? When you refer to history, it doesn't look promising. But that doesn't mean that you have to give in to societal pressures and practices. Your example of standing up against the norms could affect others around you. You never know who's observing and how they might change their own perspective based on your example. If you have any questions about what you heard today, you can reach us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609-884-5821. We encourage you to keep looking to Scripture for answers about all of life's questions. We're so glad you tuned in to Assure Hope today. If you want to hear this message again or others like it, you'll be able to find them on our website, assurehoperadio.com. Don't forget to join us again next time to learn more valuable lessons in 2 Kings right here on Assure Hope. Oh